1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Ars Blog ArsCast right here. On arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much, as always, for being here. Hope everything is good with you and yours, wherever you are in the world. It's Friday, mid morning, as I'm recording this. I'm going to get pretty much straight into things because we played last night. Obviously, that plays havoc, of course, with the podcast schedule. That's why I'm so desperate for us to get back into the Champions League because we play Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I can do a good recording on a Thursday, have the podcast for you on a Friday morning. But when we play sort of late in a Thursday night, it's very difficult to do that. However... We do have a show, we have a good conversation about the game and everything else, and it is of course a big weekend, this October slogathon, whatever you want to call it, nine games in 30 days, continues, no rest for the wicked and all that. Liverpool coming up on Sunday, which is an exciting and also still slightly terrifying prospect, given the way things have gone against them, and we'll talk a little bit about that before the end of this show. Just to tell you as well that I do have a, a little bit of a competition for you a bit later on in the show. It comes from our friends at club golf who've got an arsenal 92 polo shirt to give away which will look great on the golf course if you're a golfer and even if you're not it's still a very uh, snazzy piece of clothing that you can wear wherever you like because you know who's going to stop you going around in the bruised banana listen out for details after we have the conversation in the podcast and i'm delighted to welcome back to the show from cbs sports james bench hello james Hi, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Nice to have some European football back at the Emirates. Feels like it's been gone a while. And, uh, you know, just the the sort of occasion, the lights, the 5,000 Norwegians
2: jumping up and down in the corner. We've missed that. I I mean, I, I've missed that an awful lot. I think it's, it's the, it felt like a sort of return to the good old days or very much not the good old days, actually, of sort of, Vast indifference from a home home fan base that kind of turned up about 10 minutes late, left 10 minutes early. And, you know, it's not up to me to tell them whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. You know, I, I'm not paying for a ticket. Um, and that was sort of set against, though, the, these visiting fans who, and I think it's always quite a nice moment for those of us in the Arsenal world. You know, this was one of the the, the biggest games in their recent history and and a moment to really celebrate, a chance to go to to London. There were loads of them. They made magnificent noise. Um, it was very Europa League, I thought, right the way down to um, the bodo Glimt bus, break, or Bodo-glimped coach breaking down the first team <laughs> squad piling into minivans without enough room for the coaches who were then uh, encouraged to walk to the Emirates. I'm like, look, Chelsea, AC Milan, you don't get it in that Man City against Atletico Madrid that doesn't happen but in the Europa League we do things a little bit differently and I like it
1: for that <laughs> we've got to sort out whoever's in charge of the coach hire for Bodo Glimt their their coach uh, coach coach if you like uh, is probably gonna <laughs> he's gonna <laughs> well, if, be in some mean, trouble if if,
2: if, our, if this happens to Arsenal next week you know this is a trudge through the uh, Norway the Arctic Circle snows it could be quite a crisis for us
1: well yes yeah, slightly different circumstances up there next week not least of which of course is, is the pitch uh, that we're going to have to contend with. But uh, that's in the future. So let's talk about the past, the not-too-distant past. And it was a 3-0 win for Arsenal. Like you said, I think it was very Europa League. It felt very Thursday night. If you talk about the good old days, this is sort of like the old days of on the way, hopefully, to get back to the good old days um, when you're playing Champions League football. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about that in the context of using some of the players that were used last night. We'll get to that. But Mikel Arteta made eight changes from the team that, um, as we now know, were, we're quite lucky to beat uh, Tottenham at the weekend. Um, <laughs> but there were three first-team players. First-team, I said that in inverted commas. Gabriel started, as he has every game this season. If people want to talk about other players in the Premier League being a machine or a monster or a cyborg or whatever it is, Gabriel's up there in terms, at least, of his durability. uh, Granit Xhaka started, as he normally does in midfield, and Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand side um, with some pre-planned changes. I mean, without going too deep into the weeds here... When you're looking at that in the Europa League group stages and you're seeing, look, there are three players who were playing that we probably would prefer not to, is that sort of an indication that squad depth is still a slight
2: issue for Arsenal uh, at this point of the season? Well, I mean, in two of those three positions as well, we know these are the areas where Arsenal felt they were one short. So one more central midfielder Mm. and one more wide attacking option. So, I mean, yes, certainly you're right that it is. Um, it, it would be nice to have the option, and I, I didn't really get a sense there was. Obviously, Reese Nelson came back and got a few minutes, and that was great. But I didn't really, you know, there wasn't really a huge sense that that there was a like enough in that squad that they could do without playing some some senior players. I mean, on the on the broader point though, I I tend to think certainly at the moment there is a logic to going quite strong, getting these games won. I mean. Obviously, as Arsenal weren't in the Europa League last season, it maybe it's news to some fans. Obviously, it won't be to Mikel Arteta, but winning this group does save you another round of, of fixtures and tricky fixtures as well. Um, the what they now call the preliminary knockout round or something like that, where um, the teams that finish second in the Europa League groups would drop down would would play the Champions League teams. Oh, that the drop down. I didn't. That's a, a thing. really fiddly task and you've got teams in there that could well be <laughs> like Barcelona or Inter Milan. I mean, for all we know Tottenham, Ajax, there are going to be good teams that drop down. And if you can kind of miss them and give yourself two games off uh, early in the new year, there's real value. So I have to say, I, I almost was of the view of, and certainly this will be relevant come the PSV games, got a bit stronger now. I know it's tough. I know that you, you, you're going to be asking an awful lot of your star players and um, but get that, you know, get those get those games won mm-hmm. quickly. It's always, you know, you see this as well in the Champions League with you, your cities and your Real Madrids. You know, they're, they're going to go full strength, get 12 points, get top of the table. Once you do that, you t- you play whoever you want. You know, bring out the under 18s for all for all I care. But I think it's there is a real advantage to, to getting top of the group. Obviously, you don't want to damage your Premier League campaign in the process, but um, I, I thought that was about right. To, yeah. to play some senior players. I did not realise that that was a thing in this... Um, was that introduced last year in the Europa League? Yeah, it was right. introduced last year. And actually, you could see that like a team like West Ham, like Barcelona, who had dropped down, it, by the end of the... You know, by the time they were getting to the quarterfinals, they looked knackered. Mm. And, I mean, West Ham looked knackered a bit later on, yeah. but it, it certainly helped them a little bit having that that extra... Few games off.
1: On the broader point, though, because um, we're seeing as we're talking about it, might as well talk about it now before we go into some of the specifics of of the game itself. Like I was watching the game, I was sort of keeping a half an eye on social media while I'm doing the live blog and stuff, and there was a lot of. Low-level angst, I think, is what you would say about some of the players who were, A, starting, like Martinelli starting, Shaka starting, Gabriel starting, and then introducing Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Jesus. People are going, why are you playing Gabriel Jesus in a game like this? He could get injured. Why are you bringing on um, Ben White in a game like this? He could get injured. Uh, it was Saka, Odegaard, and, and uh, Jesus were the first three substitutes. And, like, I, I get it from... An anxiety point of view, like as Arsenal fans, I think we have some um, deep scars about players maybe picking up an injury in a game that perhaps they didn't need to play in. And I think you, you've got to also acknowledge that Thomas Partey didn't come on, a guy who's pretty much an injury risk. Alexander Zinchenko was not in the squad. Um Kieran Tierney, he came off. So, like, the guys who are perhaps the most brittle weren't put in a position where they could do themselves some damage. So Tierney came off. The other two didn't get involved. But I do think that there is, like, the way fans think about this issue is completely and utterly different from the way managers and coaches think about it and the way the players think about it as well. Like, I don't think they're – like they they can't go into any game with the mindset of well what if this guy gets injured if we play him for a few minutes cuz you could get injured in training players want to play whether it's Europa League whether it's Premier League whatever they they want to play so i think there is something disconnected between the way fans think and the way the managers and players think. And and after a you know a couple of weeks off in September when nobody played, where the kind of minutes that you would like to accumulate by this point of the season that perhaps n- mean you've got to give players a rest because they're fatigued, you know, haven't happened. So it is slightly different. Like, I understand the worry. I, you know, if Gabriel Jesus goes on and gets a kick and misses Liverpool on Sunday, I get it. But I, I don't think that they take that into as much consideration as fans do.
2: Yeah, my, when I sort of saw those replies, and you see them every time Arsenal are in the Europa League, my mind kind of goes to, do you remember Santiago Canizares? It was before a, an international tournament, and he, the World he dropped Cup, a bottle yeah. of aftershave on his foot and <laughs> missed the, the World Cup or the Euros or whatever. And, you know, you, I do think some fans wouldn't be entirely happy unless Gabriel Jesus was literally wrapped in bubble wrap. And was rolled from Colney to the Emirates Stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, like you say, you know, these are footballers. You know, get them to play some football. It's not the worst idea, especially for a home match. Especially, like you say, you know, Jesus, Martinelli, Gabriel. They all didn't go away over the international break. Uh, you know, it is uh, going back to that point we were making uh, when Jesus Saka and um, erdogan came on. There was half a chance that and it was the only kind of chance in the game that, that Bodo Glimt might make this a little bit difficult. Mm. In the end, adding those three players cooled the pressure a little bit, gave Arsenal a bit more in the final third, even though it took a while for the goals to come. And actually that probably meant that you were putting a less a little less physical strain on Gabriel, on Granit Xhaka, mm. On even on the, you know, the players that you're gonna to need to come off the bench and be in the squad um on Sunday. I I think You know, if it's a case of, and this is maybe this group off the top of my head doesn't quite have these demands, but when it's a case of flying Gabriel, you know, your star players to the other end of Europe to possibly come off the bench, I I think that's a wasted endeavour, no matter kind of how fit they are. And of course, we should remember in all this that, you know, Gary O'Driscoll and his medical team are giving Mikel Arteta insights we can't even imagine. You know, they know whether it's a risk or not. Mm you know i don't don't fly them to the other end of of Europe because you might need to bring them off the bench, but you know you can they can pop to Colney and um play half an hour and if they get injured like you know they could get injured doing anything else in the world it's at some stage, like you say, Andrew, you do have to be willing to, to play your footballers in football matches.
1: Well, well, that's it. And like, I know this is a big if, but we could be sitting here having this conversation this time next year after a Tuesday game or Wednesday game, hopefully in the Champions League. And then you have to stop thinking about this kind of two team system that you have, particularly with the group stages of the Europa League, where you go, right. Everyone who's important, sit down, and then we're going to bring in all these guys, and it's a chance for you to show what you can do. But really, everyone knows there's a sort of a pecking order within the within the team. So you've your first team, and then you've – but if you're in the Champions League, you don't need that two-team structure. You need one squad. And that's, I guess, we have to recalibrate our mindset a little bit towards that, as and when we get there. I do get it for the Europa League group stages. I am, I'm, I, you know, I understand a game against Bodo Glimt is not the same as if you were playing PSG or Barcelona or you know another top tier European club in the group stage of the Champions League. I get that, but at the same time. You know, you have to keep people involved and you have to keep them uh, giving them minutes. And, and like you say, I think it didn't necessarily shift the momentum completely back the other way in terms of in terms of the game. We didn't really have too many chances until the late uh, part of the second half. But you're right to say that if, I think Mikel Arteta was probably looking at that second half and thinking, well, I've got to do something about this because Bodo glimped our tidy side. They're pretty... Um, confident on the ball when they have it in the right areas. They made a couple of bursts through midfield. They got to the edge of the box. There was one shot that Matt Turner had to make a good save from. It's not as if we were completely and utterly under the cosh. Nevertheless, I think if you're a manager and you're sitting there and you're watching that and you're looking at that game, you've got to think to yourself, well, I have to do something to maybe just change it a little bit. And even the presence of people like Odegaard, Jesus, Saka on the pitch, it kind of halts the endeavour of the opposition because they don't want to leave themselves as open as they were or as they might be when they push
2: forward. And you get to play Erdegaard and, and Fabio Vieira yeah. together as well, which is, you know, these little things. I mean, like, it, it's a bit like seeing him in a friendly, That you know, Erdegaard mm. and Vieira. I didn't feel like I learned much and kind of, to be honest, towards the end, until Reese Nelson came on and was determined to put on a show for those of us that were left, I was, I was pretty close to falling asleep. Uh, mm. not actually but you know no, I agree. Go. Yeah. Um, it, but these you know these are these are minutes you don't get anywhere else and like you say the Champions League is not going to afford you opportunities to see if the Erdegaard Fabio Vieira 3-8 tandem works um, half an hour against Bodo Glimt it's not it's not perfect but it's the best you're going to get mm. the best you're ever going to get in a season so uh, yeah I think it's there is always value in in seeing how how these players mesh together
1: Eddie Nketiah scored um, second start of the season um, in the Europa League, second goal. I mean, this is clearly the role that he understands he has at this moment in time, that these games are a chance for him to start. He is featuring in the Premier League. He's coming on. Um, You know, I'm sure he's not necessarily happy, but probably understands, you know, when you've got someone like Gabriel Jesus up front. All you can do, though, is, is... make your mark when you do get the opportunity. And there was a good stat going around. I know these are slightly skewed stats, but I think it's something like 12 goals in his last 15 starts mm. for Arsenal, which is pretty impressive. When you broaden that out to appearances, it's probably doesn't stand up to as much scrutiny. But when you're coming on in the last 5, 10, 15 minutes of a Premier League game, it's not always easy as as, as we've seen in the past. But when he is starting, he is scoring... It's quite funny, isn't it? Because I think there have been really big improvements in his all round game. There's a great chance early on where he took the ball, ran with it, beat a couple of players, got to the edge of the box, curled a shot, really not very far wide. Mm. Would have been a very spectacular goal. Not the kind of goal that you would associate with Eddie and Ketty if you thought about him in the last 12, 18, 24 months. So it's kind of ironic that the goal he scored was a very Eddie and Ketty a goal from inside the box. I do think, though, that the um, the finish wasn't as simple as he made it look.
2: I completely agree, and I think a lot of these goals are not as simple as they look. It is when the ball keeps breaking to you in the penalty area. It isn't flukes. It you know it happens to Eddie and more than mm. certainly any Arsenal striker I've seen. It you know in the what we you know the sort of modern era, the twenty first century. It, it is. This is a a skill. I don't know how much of this is. Well, actually, I, I suspect a lot of this is not a coach skill, and this is a a skill that he has. Kind of, it's a bit innate, mm. and obviously there will be some coaching within that. And he works hard on it. I know that for a fact. You know, he is he he is obsessed with how he can be a player that positions himself and reacts quickly enough because. I mean, I, I'm not looking at the goal right now, but I think if you go back to look at it, isn't he slightly behind the Bodo-glimped defender yeah. who doesn't react quickly enough? And he just, he, he gets the leg there. and vo- I mean, a really nice, crisp volley. I mean, it would test a goalkeeper if they were in the net. You know, that is, I always think of, and i probably used this on the, the Ask Cast before, it, it puts me in mind of there's a scene in um, The Last Dance, the the Netflix documentary on the Chicago Bulls, where Dennis Rodman spends age is talking about spit, the spin that's imparted on a ball um, when he's going up for a rebound uh, and how he knows you know if it's going if it's spinning in one way it's probably going to land here so this is where i need to put myself and then ketia does that he he keeps finding himself in in these spots it's such a valuable trait i think it's a particularly valuable trait in a in a second striker i know that sort of last season there was that miss against everton but you know the stats nerds and people that have been watching the game since you know for a very long time they'll all agree on actually what's most important is you're getting yourself in a position to miss these chances because you know if you miss if you're taking the shots there's more value than not mm. um, and he he does this so well so so well I, I I really like that side of his game and like you say Come on, leaps and bounds in his build-up play. His pressing with Marquinhos, I thought, was excellent early on, really disrupted Bodo Glimp. But, like, the special source with Enketia is this just... Fox in the box, to use a a classic Arsenal phrase. Um, And it's so valuable. It's so, so valuable.
1: No, it is. It's a really, really good finish. I mean, the build-up from Gabriel Martinelli was... was Like, he'd been quiet. I mean, Martinelli and Xhaka in particular, I think both of them looked early on like guys who'd played 90 minutes a few days ago, and it took them a little bit of time to to warm up. I'm not sure Xhaka really warmed up to the extent that you would like, although he did have two... um, Two very good efforts saved, one very early in the second half. Free kick tipped over as a good save as well. Uh, but Martinelli, that run through the middle, that that is kind of, if you're talking about special sauce, that's kind of what he is bringing to the team this season, that ability to drive through spaces in a slightly unconventional way. Um, it's, it's almost like... It's, Antithetical to what you're supposed to do because he looks like a guy who's got his head down, but you can't do what you what he's doing with your head down. You just can't do it. It's just kind of the way he moves and the way he drives through. It was a brilliant burst through midfield, an extremely pre, uh, pleasing crack off the oh, post yeah. from Kieran Tierney. Th- I'd say that was one where you could hear it all
2: the way around the stadium. Yes, yeah, it was. It was oh. He, I love that sound.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. And for it to finish up with the ball in the back of that from Enkedia, um, absolutely sensational. Fabio Vieira, we, we we've got to talk about him because he got a great assist for Rob Holding's goal. Credit to Rob. It's a very good header. It looked bread and butter from one angle, but when you look at it from the behind the goal angle, he does direct it very well beyond the goalkeeper giving him no chance. But a superb delivery from Vieira, and this is a This is a young man who Arsenal paid a fairly substantial amount of money for in the transfer market this summer. We didn't get to see him in preseason, so there wasn't necessarily a great deal of hype around him, the way there was with Jesus, the way there was with Zinchenko when we saw them come into the team in preseason, play really, really well. He was sort of... um, What's the word I'm looking for here? An unknown quantity, even though people had watched the videos and, and everything else. But he's got, what, uh, two goals and an assist or two assists and a goal. I can't remember one way or the other. But, you know, in four games, four appearances, you know, he's producing already for Arsenal. You can see that there's more to come from him. But what we saw last night, I think, was was very interesting. Five shots, three key passes, a goal and an assist. Looks very comfortable. Uh, Doesn't look overawed at all by the, uh, the, well, the occasion. I was going to say the occasion, but like, I'm not sure with all due respect, with all due respect to our our Norwegian listeners, you know, a game against Bodo Glimt isn't necessarily the high point of European football, but still his first start in a European game for Arsenal. um, I think he's very, very impressive so far. And it's clear there's a lot more to come from
2: him. I thought for me, the really interesting point you made there was about that those five shots. Mm. Of course, you know, you you see flashes of Erdegaard and, and previous number 10s in Vieira, but I think it's also quite easy to see from, from the way he plays and his first reaction when the ball comes to him, it, it's quite easy to see why in what I swear was about 15 minutes, he set the, uh, you know, he was leading the Portuguese league for assists um, last season. Mm. Kind of... I, to an extent, I wonder if it, it's something that might kind of end up, coach, being coached out of him is the wrong way to phrase this, but it, he might be told to ease back um, and focus more on retaining possession than than trying that killer ball. Mm-hmm. But equally, I think it's a really nice contrast to an Erdegaard who, you know, certainly a criticism we all have of him, uh, one of the few is that sometimes you just wish he would shoot Mm. Vieira. He gets into those shooting positions. I would suspect quite a few of those five were shots were from within the box as well as some, some outside. Um, He is looking for those direct goal contributions. And that to me, that to me is something I really like. I spent a lot of the first 20, 25 minutes just watching him. um, And he did. The only time he stood still was when that Podo glint defender trod on him. Um, He is Always moving, always looking for those angles. I know that's something we're very used to from from Arsenal players. But um yeah, I saw a lot to like. I saw an awful lot to like. And if you're kind of if you're if you are a number ten that's making those direct goal scoring contributions, I think he could could end up being a player that is what you know, Arsene Wenger always wanted from an Oxlade-Chamberlain or a Rosicki or, you know, those guys when he's going, please 10, was almost begging quotes at the start of every season, just please just score me 10 goals. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Vieira will get to 10 because, you know, he will, he will probably not be a regular in the Premier League, although I can definitely see it uh, later this season and, and in years to come. But I, I, I'm thinking he's going to rank very highly when we start filtering all those stats by per 90 minutes he's, he's taking his shots, he's, take, he's mm. playing his passes, and I really like seeing that.
1: It was quite interesting, Arteta, talking about him afterwards. You know, he said you saw the quality. Every time he's around the box, he's a real threat, really intelligent and brave. Then he said, in defending he still needs to do more and understand it more because organization is key when you play against good teams and ball possession. I think that says so much about Mikel Arteta. Like we've taken this step forward. Arsenal have taken a real step forward in terms of how they play, the perception of the team, what kind of football we play, uh, the way we attack. And it's it's fantastic. And I'm not um, downplaying that by any stretch of the imagination, but it's clearly built on defensive awareness in every aspect of the game in every area of the pitch and I think you could say maybe the same applies um, to Albert sambi Lokongo, who I thought very very tidy on the ball but during that period when Bodo Glimt had a, a bit of success is not quite the, the the right way but where they had a, a good spell in that second period that area in front of the Arsenal central defenders in central midfield where, where Sambi is essentially playing the Thomas Partey role that, I think, is where he uh, uh, still has a bit to do as well. It's that defensive awareness, the positioning. It's it's like the decision-making. Do I go and join? What's happening? And Arteta spoke a, a bit afterwards where he said, we lacked a little bit of connection. Um, I, I wasn't entirely sure what he meant by that, but when I looked at the stats this morning, Vieira had 100% pass completion rate, but only 16 passes. And for a player playing in his position that's quite a small number given the way that the game was um, dominated for the most part by Arsenal. Then you look at where Arsenal had the most touches, the most passes, and it was in the central defenders. It was in Holding, it was in Gabriel, and it was trying then to connect between the central defenders, the midfield, and then the attacking role that, that Vieira was playing in, where I think that's kind of what he was referring to.
2: Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. I think we have to remember that Across this, across those, those build-up positions, and I'm sure we'll come to talk about, you know, Matt Turner as well. These weren't players that are, you know, one of the key reasons they're not in the strongest eleven is because they aren't quite as strong mm. in build-up. And I know Gabriel is. I think he can have games where he passes really well, but, but it always helps him. I think to have the the better options around him. With Lukonga, I, I certainly agree with you that in that pressure period, there were several moments where I was wondering where he was. And I think, you know, it is a challenge and one that he needs to be played through and given minutes to, to fail. Mm. Um, challenge of, of this Thomas Partey role that Thomas Partey couldn't fulfill, um, for a long time at Arsenal. And, And I think I can't think of many other players in, in the Premier League or in, in Europe that could do as well as, as Partey does. Um, like you say, yeah, I, I I agree with that. There was certainly felt like there wasn't quite the zip in moving the ball upfield. Um, that is a, and, and I think Ramsdale brings brings mm. so much to that as well. We we obviously tend to think of it around the outfield players, but um, I think the ability to bypass midfield gives you and and the, and the knowledge from the opposition mm. that actually if the ball goes all the way back to Ramsdale, you still have to be ready. You can't push numbers forward it adds so much to the build-up. You know, this is an 11 thing. And whilst we all think of the player that's in that midfield pivot role as the most important to build-up, and he probably is, I think when you start picking out one piece by one piece by one piece, that, that's when it all sort of falters. And when, you know, Fabio Vieira gets 16 passes where, where Erdegaard might be getting on for 40.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. And and like making that point about Sambi, it's not necessarily to be critical. It's about the ability to use games like this as a a coaching tool in a way. So when afterwards, I assume there's some individual coaching. We we saw it in the All or Nothing. Albert Steuvenberg, who would just come in, do that better. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, maybe it's a little more in depth I mean, so when the cameras are there. Shit. Yes, <laughs> um, you know, it is a way then to to teach a player. Like when to make the right decisions, when to move out of your zone, when to go and support, but when to sit and when to, to make sure that you're there in front of the, um, the back four. You mentioned Matt Turner. I have to say I, I thought he had a good game with his hands. Made a good save. There was one very uh, high ball. I think it could have been a a header from a a free kick, which looped way up in the air. And it was one of those where you're thinking, ooh, what's the goalkeeper going to do here? Safe hands. Very good. Impressed by that aspect of his game. I wasn't necessarily as comfortable with him on the ball. And I think this is uh, something everybody knows. He even spoke about it himself where, before he joined that he's work to do in in that regard. I was a little concerned though about how uncomfortable he looked at times receiving the ball. I think some of his passing wasn't great. Um, he he did look like he didn't want it a couple of times as well. And I, I just wonder about, well, look, it's only two games. I'm not making any definitive judgments on the guy or anything like that. He may well develop into somebody who can use the ball well with his feet, but given his age, I think it's reasonable to ask a, a few questions uh, about that area of things. Um, how did you view that aspect of his game? Was it, should it be a surprise to anybody that that's sort of the weakness that he has? And you know, when we're thinking about this season as a whole, it seems it just seems a little bit odd to me that when Arsenal went out and got a goalkeeper this summer, they got somebody who's um, who isn't. Look, I, I don't mean to say you can get somebody who's exactly like Aaron Ramsdale Mm -hmm. but Aaron Ramsdale has become so important to Arsenal in the way that he uses the ball it just seems a bit strange to me that the guy that they went for
2: is that's his big weakness if you like so I I think the first thing we have to bear in mind is that the the previous incumbent as the number two goalkeeper, was a very expensive number two goalkeeper, a very, you know, high profile one. He wasn't great with his feet on the on the ball in it, it, it burnt Leno. And I think part of this, we have to kind of bear in mind, I don't know how much, exactly how much Matt Turner is earning, but I know it's significantly less than, than Leno. And, mm. you know, that's a, a judgment call that, that Arsenal had to make. And of course, Leno as well wants to be a number one and rightly so. It, I, I would also be of the view that especially having seen uh, uh, Alex Runnison play, the first thing I want from a backup goalkeeper, a, a goalkeeper that I might kind of have to throw in at the deep end, is I want to trust that he can make saves. Because, you know, it's, it is one thing we all forget about Aaron Ramsdale as well. He is also pretty good and getting better all the time, I think, mm. by the odd wobble late last season, uh, keeping the ball out of the net. And it's one thing, you know, and everyone would agree, When we, when everyone was watching their Matt Turner clips before he arrived, the kid's a great shot stopper, a really, really strong hand. There was one excellent save, wasn't there, when it went through both Gabriel and Holdings legs. Very good. Very quick reactions. Yeah. Impressive. I don't want to give too much away. He gets it. He gets that this is where he really has to work hard at playing the ball out with his feet. If you went and asked him, he would tell you that if you think he's bad at playing the ball with his feet now, go and watch him a year or two ago. He he is trying to improve. He's working really hard. And I think we all forget that that is, and like you said, it is somewhere that, you know, players can develop, players can get better at, at perceived weaknesses. You know, you don't have to go out and buy a ball playing goalkeeper now because two games in, you're not happy with uh, how Matt Turner does with the ball at his feet. I think... Tim Stillman made this point and I was kind of looking at at Weissgat and I thought, especially in that first game against Zurich, when he just had to hoof it, he actually did that quite nicely. I mean, when I say the word hoof, they were clipped, Arsenal players were winning the balls and that's, that's kind of all you can ask. But he's just not, you know, I think three or four years ago, he was playing lower level college soccer which I will use in this context because, you know, people might think I'm in actual college American football. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think everyone still fully appreciates how quickly this this kind of journey has all come together for him. Mm. And, and equally, you know, for my sins based on my employer, I, every once in a while I have to watch MLS football. It's not a pleasant experience. It is not, you know, tactically sophisticated. There is a long way to go between that and, and you know, it is improving uh to our american listeners out there it's getting better please don't please don't shout at me but um it is you know he he is not a league that where he is going to learn how to cope when you know good teams are pressing him yeah he's working on it i guess is is all you can say um and i i think come the latter stages of the Europa league early in the fa cup campaign that's when i think we kind of need to say has he got better he will probably never be Aaron Ramsdale, but then, you know, mm. there aren't many goalkeepers out there that, that pass with the, the swagger, uh, the fearlessness swashbuckling passes. Aren't they always from Aaron Ramsdale? Mm. Um, and you just aren't getting a backup goalkeeper who does that. And if you do, I'm always worried about them, what they're like as a shot stopper. At least I feel like, you know, if the chips are down, if I need someone to make a big save, I feel like you can trust Turner on that. Mm. I know everyone wants everything from every player in their squad. And there's, there's no, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't demand that. But, um, Mm. He's a safe pair of hands, which used to be the only thing you needed to be as a goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. But the game has changed, and the way that Arsenal play has changed. And, you know, it does, it is a a, a reasonable uh, conversation to have, I think. Definitely. And, you know, look, it's only his second game. He may well, you know, have had a few nerves at home, um playing at home for the first time, whatever it might be. He's certainly got a a long fucking kick on. And when he, when he does launch it, the issue, I think last time when he did launch it, there was one where I, I think Odegaard had come deep for a pass and he sort of waved people away and then just belted it straight through to the opposition goalkeeper. And I, you know, Whatever else, I don't know that that's what Mikel Arteta necessarily <laughs> wants. Uh, I suppose it's safe for a few seconds, but you never know what way the ball is going to come back. And look, hopefully he can improve. Hopefully he can keep improving. I do wonder as well if you know part of the improvement process is is just confidence. It's about feeling like I can do this. I played some games now. I can do it, um, albeit in the Europa League, whatever it might be. Um, fingers crossed, he can. Uh, make that improvement, because I do. Like I said, I thought he was good with his hands, made a good save, a couple of good takes. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed. Before we sort of just move very quickly away from this, um, I think we have to talk about the Gabriel Jesus assist, simply because it's it, it feels like that one's been in the post for a few weeks. He's tried that more than once. In fact, there was a, a moment in the the Tottenham game where he did something similar in a similar area. I think he toe-poked his shot at, at Hugo Lloris, uh, who managed somehow to keep it out. I don't know quite how he did it, given some of the other stuff he did in the game, but there you go. Um, like, unbelievable footwork. And I think a good finish as well from, from Vieira, where he made sure he put that ball in a place where... No defender who was back there could get anywhere near it,
2: yeah, it did put me up because it that wasn't the only occasion against tottenham where where Jesus did those sort of um those wonderful runs beat a few men and sometimes he didn't get a shot away mm. um now obviously you know as we know when Tottenham don't get a shot away that is uh searing football it should count as a whole two expected goals <laughs> um it is a sign of their dominance over the game but when Arsenal you know get their shots away or even when they beat men and, and don't get <laughs> their shots away doesn't count doesn't count um it is yeah like you said it was it was a real treat um I thought, you know, as for a game that had sort of petered out, it's it's clearly something he's not afraid of. Um, and I, like every single game, he will look to commit players in the box. In a way, one of the things that's intrigued me is, and I don't even think, because there hasn't even been an occasion where I've thought, oh, he should have got a penalty there, or he was fouled, <laughs> especially against the Bodo Glimp defenders. And frankly, some of the Tottenham defenders, he's almost a little too good at dribbling through the area because mm. they're not they're not even laying a boot on you. Gabriel, and maybe just, you know, leave that right... When you're dribbling through, just leave that right leg trailing and see if you can get clipped because, you know, that is um, more often than not, I think those are going to lead to... Or more often than not, they'll lead to nothing. But more often than leading to an assist like, you know, that wonderful one for Vieira, they could well get you a penalty. Um, And I think it's something Arsenal have not been the best at under Mikel Arteta. I'm racking my brain for examples, but just forcing opponents in the penalty area. We don't get them. We don't get given them. No, they don't at all. I don't know. I mean, you know. I mean, the Burnley,
1: No, I mean, that's it. I mean, you know, we we don't tend to get those decisions. Um, You know, you think about the Pepe one against Burnley a few years ago, a couple of seasons ago, where the guy (laughs) literally looks like, if you want to talk about the last dance, Michael Jordan would have been happy with that kind of ball control. We don't get it. But no, I think that's an interesting point. It really is, you know, that kind of danger that uh, an opponent like that creates in the box where it just takes a split second, one quick movement of your feet and you get kicked in the ankle. And, you know, hopefully, um, and I say this laughing, VAR might give you something if the referee doesn't spot it in real time. But there you go. Um, Look, all in all, good win. Three points, top of the group. And like you say, the importance of winning the group, um, you know, I, I always thought it was important. I didn't quite realize how important that it does save you um, a fixture against a team that maybe you don't want to be playing against. So uh, Bodo Glimp next week, then PSV, and who knows, Arsenal could have the uh, the group wrapped up in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, I just want to move on to the weekend very quickly. Um We'll talk about this a bit more on the preview podcast on Patreon, but it is a big, big game. Arsenal versus Liverpool at home. A slightly wobbly Liverpool um, based on, you know, what we've come to expect from them. Their start to the season has been a little bit uh, uncharacteristic, I think you might say. Arsenal's start to the season, as we all know, has been uh, really good. So there are reasons going into this game uh, to feel positive. It's still going to be very tough because this is a very, very good Liverpool side. They're going to want to haul themselves out of this little mess they're in. A team that redoubles their efforts uh, and all that kind of stuff is always tough to play against. But when we look at this fixture, is this is this kind of a marker fixture in, in the calendar? Because, look, Tottenham uh, is a brilliant win, but Tottenham never win at the Emirates. You know, mm-hmm. Arsenal always beat Tottenham because, as we know... They get battered uh, everywhere they go. (laughs) But Liverpool is a different kettle of fish, right? So when you're looking at this Arsenal team, when you're looking at um, tangible ways of measuring the progress, I think there are other ways you can do it apart from just results in games. You know, you can look at the stats. You can look at the performances. We all have eyes. We can all see that Arsenal are playing better football this season than they were this time last season, for example. But when you consider the record against Liverpool and and how difficult we have found it against them in in seasons past, is this the kind of game where Arsenal can really show people things are different? Uh, It doesn't necessarily, even if it's not a win, to be competitive against this Liverpool team would feel like a step forward based on some of the results we've seen in the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, I mean, pretty much in the entire post-Wenger era, I personally have considered Liverpool to be kind of the yardstick against which Arsenal are, mer- uh, are measured. So, you know, f- a, a few years back when it was three or four nil every time it was, they were a helpful reminder of how far Arsenal had to go. I think obviously part of this is also, also comes down to the fact that they built in a way that Arsenal could in theory replicate. They have spent quite a lot of money, but they, you know, they've also sold quite well and um, they've not, Broken the bank they don't have mm. Petro millions funding them um then kind of going on to earlier this year I thought there were signs weren't there in the, the EFL Cup games and even in the league game that when Arsenal were were on form you know they could match a Liverpool team that would, that was one of the best in europe I'm still skeptical about how you know how long term this early season wobble is I don't think I don't think it's a sign of decline. Now kind of I'm always of the view of a team like Liverpool or a player like a, you know, Messi or Virgil van Dijk or whoever, I'd rather be kind of the last person saying that they're still great than the first person who jumps the gun and says they're gone. So you you're not saying they're a finished club or anything like that. Liverpool are <laughs> not finished FC. They are very much still alive, I think it, you know, I would be having sort of quite nervous hives looking at some of those bookmakers' odds and seeing Arsenal as the favourites because, mm. you know, this Liverpool team at full strength and I think it's going to be not too far from full strength. If they can click into gear, I still think their level, their collective level, is a bit higher than Arsenal have have reached consistently yet. But, you know, for all those reasons, you know, if Arsenal can play their way, obviously they drew a whole. A, a, or, uh, Anfield um, earlier this year, but only by playing, you know, pure excellent, but pure defensive football. You know, if they, if they can men, go out. Yeah. yeah, with 10 men. If Granite Jacker can not get sent off, if they can go out <laughs> and, you know, say we are playing Arsenal football, we're going head to head to head with Liverpool. And if they can match them, like you say, I don't think they need to win. Um, even if it's just a... I mean, a, a defeat would be a shame, I think, obviously. Um, and and might scotch that, that early season top-of-the-table momentum whilst Erling Haaland's playing against Southampton. Um, she's going to be 9-0 to Haaland. That's exactly <laughs> what I said to a Southampton fan last night. It's the logical end point of Ralph harsen reign, which seems like it's going to finish quite soon, is he loses 9-0 again and it's all Haaland. It's a goal. Um I, I think for Arsenal, this is a, like you say, a better opportunity than than Tottenham to show where they are. We, we've seen them play well against every other one of the big six and quite often get rewards, maybe not against City of late. Mm. But I've not seen them go toe-to-toe with Liverpool and show that they are, they are a match for them. And yeah, I think especially when you look at back to kind of how their aura clearly perturbed uh, Arteta before he went to Anfield last season, I think kind of inflicting that aura, giving um, Liverpool a taste for this fantastic Emirates stadium atmosphere, these could all be hugely valuable, mm. whatever the result. And if the result was a really positive you know positive one, like then we get to have those fun conversations about whether Arsenal are the second best team in England. I'm never, ever having the one about best team in England. Not yet, not yet. Not yet. But certainly, I think this is this can be a. I, I hope Arsenal think of this as a real opportunity, mm. um, and a, and a, probably the only game this side of Christmas where they can sort of. Announce themselves as Liverpool's successors.
1: All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I've been reliably informed that Jurgen Klopp has got the speakers out and he's playing tequila <laughs> over and over again on the training ground just to get his uh, players used to what's going I mean, to happen. be fair, you
2: could see that players would get really, really annoyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're going to be singing this for 90 minutes. Is going to drive yeah. you mad?
1: <laughs> Mohamed Salah just waking up in the middle of the night going, Salima, the fuck, God damn it!" <laughs> anyway, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Like I said, we'll talk more about this on the Patreon podcast. Thank you very much indeed to James Benj. You can find him on Twitter. He is at James Benj, at James Benj. Right. I did mention I have a competition for you. We've got an Arsenal 92 polo shirt to give away from our friends at Club Golf. Very easy to enter. All you need to do is go to the Club Golf website, which is clubgolf.uk clubgolf.uk and you'll see a picture on the front and there'll be the words club golf. I want you to tell me what is the, what do you call it? Like the little strap line or the motto underneath the words club golf four words. Send me those words in an email, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That is competition at arsblog.com, and we will pick a winner at random uh, for next week's show and you will get yourself an Arsenal 92 polo shirt. For now, gonna leave it there. There is a big game, obviously, at the weekend. We will preview that in some detail over on Patreon. Myself and Phil Costa will have that for you tomorrow, Saturday. If you want to sign up, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. James and I will be here on Monday. With an nice Ars Cast Extra. Hopefully, it's a goodly morning. Hopefully, we're talking about a good result against Liverpool. Let's keep fingers crossed for that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Thank you very much as always for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Yes, of course I've seen it said that Tottenham get battered everywhere they go, but I I must take umbrage at this, because that's simply one way of looking at the events. Let's take last weekend, when Arsenal, it's fair to say, won the derby. But if we completely recontextualize what happened, I think you'll see that the prevailing narrative, such as it is, is is quite false. So let's imagine that rather than a game of football, this was a boxing match. Two sluggers ready to go at each other with Gay abandon, and Arsenal land the the first punch. It's a bit of a haymaker, fair enough. And later, of course, there's an uppercut, which leaves Tottenham against the ropes. And that's followed by a a powerful left hook, if you like, from Granit Xhaka. But Tottenham came close to landing a punch or two of themselves. Yes, Arsenal effectively punched themselves in the balls by giving away a penalty. But imagine for just one second that a flurry of punches from the Tottenham side had connected with the Arsenal boxer. I mean, yes, they missed. But if they hadn't, then what would we be talking about today? Hmm. Think about that next time you're watching.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.
1: A title fight and one chap sparks the other chap right the fuck out. It could have been very different. Very different.